All right, good morning. Let's open our Bibles or navigate on our devices over to Exodus chapter 25. It's just like any Italian household, I just yell louder than you. <laughs> Exodus 25 is where we're going to begin, but we're also going to be in chapter 35 and 36 this morning because we're going to follow a theme uh, you'll see that as we get into it, so you might want to be thinking ahead to that. But Exodus 25, the topic, the hearts of the Israelites are stirred to give willingly to the construction of the tabernacle. The title of our message, Stirred Before Serving. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, this morning, we want to be stirred up by your Holy Spirit. We want to learn a little bit about what that means, and we want to see it in action. We want to be Christians, Lord, that have come this morning and drawn closer to you, learned about you, felt and sensed your love and grace in our lives, your mercy, Lord, that's new every morning, regaining compassion for the lost as we go out and, and share our faith in Christ with those who are lost. And Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that isn't a Christian, they've never really confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that your spirit would convict them of their sin and of your righteousness and of the judgment to come, and that he would let them know that you loved them and died for them while they were yet sinners, that you've risen from the dead, and that you're coming again. And we pray that today would be a day of salvation for them. We trust you, we praise you in Jesus' name, and those who agreed said, amen. Why shaken and not stirred? Well, you don't need to be a fan of James Bond to recognize that phrase as his preferred recipe for a martini, but Why? A biography of Bond creator Ian Fleming said that he liked his martini shaken, not stirred, because Fleming thought that stirring a drink diminished its flavor. Some things do not need to be stirred before serving, but some things do. Recipes may suggest that you stir occasionally, or they may insist that you stir constantly. I always get nervous to stir constantly. Uh, how, how hard? Should it splash out of the pan? Am I stirring enough? And then Pam will come out and she's, stir, stir. Or it's just, it's nerve-wracking. Anybody else have that problem? Thank you. God bless you for identifying with me. I know you don't have that problem, but you love me. Thank you. That was a whole routine to see who really loves me. The Israelites camped at Mount Sinai were stirred before serving. I'll read this from chapter 35, verse 21. It says, Then everyone came whose heart was stirred, and everyone whose spirit was willing, and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service, and for the holy garments. Their hearts were stirred, and as a result, their spirits were willing to serve the Lord by bringing free will offerings to be used for the building of the tabernacle. The stirring and their willingness were so incredible that the builders in chapter 36 will say, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, let neither man nor woman do any more for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing more. They were so stirred up that their giving actually exceeded the need. We're going to be able to discuss our own giving to the Lord from these verses as long as we keep in mind that this was a one-time building project and not the pattern for regular offerings. What is much more beneficial to us would be to focus our attention on what it means to be stirred and then serve willingly. Those underlying characteristics can affect a lot more than just our giving. As important as giving is, 
uh, they affect all of our spiritual life. They can affect everything in our walk with God. Perhaps the best way to approach this topic would be to ask two subjective questions. Number one, can you say that your heart is stirred? And number two, can you see that your spirit is willing? Let's take a look at stirred hearts in chapter 25. And I want to start out by pointing out that stirring the heart isn't something for backsliders. It's for you who are spiritual. I say that because the Apostle Paul wrote to young Pastor Timothy, and he told him, stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy wasn't in sin. He hadn't backslid. He was a veteran missionary currently busy serving the Lord as a local pastor. If he needed occasional or constant heart stirring, so do we. So I explain that only because it can sound like, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm walking with the Lord, I don't really need to have my heart stirred, I, I haven't wandered or strayed. Heart stirring is for you. If you've wandered or fallen from the Lord, repent, and then heart stirring will be for you. And so this is something that we as spiritual Christians want to lock into. So verse 1, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. We read in verse 9 that the offering was for the building of the tabernacle. Chapters 25 through 31 and chapters 35 through 40 all deal with the plans for the tabernacle. That's a lot of ink to be devoted to one subject. We'll talk about its design and its symbolism in those chapters. Today, we're concentrating on the offerings that made its construction possible and the gathering of those offerings, which happens in a few chapters. So we'll follow that. Notice here it was a free will offering. God did not constrain anyone to give. He didn't tell Moses to guilt the people into giving. He didn't say that when they're gathered together, tell them that if they want to sit down, they can each buy their own chair which uh, you're snickering, but that happens in a lot of churches. Uh, It seems spiritual at the time, I guess, in order to uh, get enough money for the building project. But, uh, you know, churches are famous for, sadly, uh, guilting people into giving. But it reads here as if he was restricting the offerings to only those who were voluntary, given willingly from the heart. I often wonder in some of these capital campaigns that churches mount, If people weren't giving before, now they are if they're really giving willingly and from the heart because that's the kind of offering that God wants. Every local church has to determine its approach to receiving offerings. While some churches seem to always be soliciting from their members, others may not even receive an offering having boxes set up where members can put their donations. They never even uh, call attention to it. And so really churches are all over the map on how they receive offerings from God's people. Our own approach is to talk about giving when the topic comes up in the Bible study, like today. We want to teach with clarity so that you can make your own determination about giving as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so one of the great benefits to expository teaching that is verse by verse, chapter by chapter, is that you come across every subject that the Bible wants to talk about And you talk about it in its own context. And so maybe you're a visitor. Maybe it's his first time here and you're thinking, oh, these people, all they ever do is talk about money. I'm leaving a church that because all they do is hit me for money. And now Pastor Gene is hitting me up for money. No, we're teaching Exodus 25. And it's about this free will offering 
that the Israelites brought. And we can learn a few things about giving, and we should, but when we're done with this, we'll move on to whatever the next subject is. And so it's a great way to teach the Word of God. Taking into account all the various approaches churches adopt, the statistics on giving in America are actually pretty pathetic. Before I mention a few statistics, I need to say a word about tithing. Tithe means 10%. Not everybody knows that anymore. We sometimes assume because we grew up in church or we've been around the Bible for a long time that everybody knows what we're talking about. When you say a tithe, a lot of people just think that that's whatever offering they want to put in the plate or give. Tithe means 10%. And tithing means you give 10% of your pre-tax income to the church. I explain that only because uh, it is the basis for some of this statistical research. Now, how are we, the church in America, doing with regard to tithing? Here are a few conclusions that some of the polls and studies have published. Those who give 10% make up only 10 to 25% of the average congregation. Fully 80% of Americans give 2% of their income to the church. By comparison, during the Great Depression, Americans gave 3.3% of their income to the church. Among Christian families making less than $20,000 annually, 8% tithe. Among families making above $75,000 annually, 1% tithe. 37% of regular attendees give nothing to their church. And the average amount given by adults who attend Protestant churches is $17 per week. Everything is, of course, relative to your particular situation. But in general, the stats on free will giving tell a selfish, not a sacrificial story. After listing some statistics like that, Relevant Magazine asked this question, what would happen if the church tithed? Their answer, if believers were to increase their giving to a minimum of, say, 10%, there would be an additional $165 billion for churches to use and distribute. The global impact would be phenomenal. And then they listed some of the things that could happen with that money. $25 billion could relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in just five years. $12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. $15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically at places in the world where one billion people live on less than a dollar a day. $1 billion could fully fund all overseas mission work. $100 billion would still be left over for additional ministry expansion. Now, the New Testament does not teach tithing as a commandment or as a requirement. At least that's our interpretation of it. It gives principles, not percentages. And so this isn't a study about why you should tithe. A lot of believers think that that's a baseline, that's a good place to start because it was good enough for Abraham in the Old Testament and the patriarchs. The truth is the New Testament teaches principles, not percentages. And there are three key principles this is what the Bible teaches us about giving. Number one, God expects believers to give cheerfully. That's from 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Number two, he expects believers to give regularly. That's from 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. And thirdly, he encourages believers to give sacrificially. Uh, that's in several places, but in Mark 12, 41 through 44, you see that. If giving to the church is supposed to be cheerful, we probably shouldn't coerce it by making believers feel guilty. We should leave it up to each Christian as a matter of their free will. Thus, our approach is to discuss it when it comes up in our studying the Bible. 
If giving to the church is supposed to be regular, we ought to offer as many ways as possible for believers to give regularly. We take a live offering every Sunday as the ushers pass the bag around. There are offering boxes in the foyer of the church here, the sanctuary, also over in the fellowship hall and in the TV overflow room. Many of you have set up automatic payments to Calvary Hanford from your checking account. You can give through PayPal on our website. And we've just installed a little, uh, we call it a kiosk, but it's an iPad in the bookstore where you can give uh, directly from your bank account or debit account or credit card or however you want to do by swiping or tapping or uh, those kinds of things. And so if you want to do that, some people have wanted to do that and we've been doing it through the bookstore. Now there's a separate iPad for you to do that. And so... Um, not soliciting, just saying, hey, people want to give. They, the Israelites gave willingly. We have people here that want to give willingly. Uh, and so we make it as easy as possible to give in a way that makes sense. Giving is also supposed to be sacrificial. And this is where it gets subjective. You and the Lord need to work out what is sacrificial in your situation. I cannot tell you. Uh, I have to spend time with the Lord in my own life and worry about me. That's up to you. All I can say is that given the stats we presented, sacrificial certainly does not describe most of the giving going on in American churches. So this is the takeaway this morning. You don't have to tithe, but you are expected to give cheerfully, regularly, and sacrificially. Or I should say you're invited to do that. Verse 3, and this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, Ram skins dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood. Oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and the sweet incense. Onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. I'll let you know right now, we're really not set up to receive ram skins dyed red. (laughs) So those of you who got all excited thinking, yeah, I can't give any money, but I've got that whole pile of ram skins at home. We... uh, uh, there's a lot of things we won't take, as a matter of fact. And so we, we're, I remember, I don't want to go through the things that we've taken, wishing we hadn't take, but uh, I had a guy call us one day, a great guy. He's not here, so I no sense that I'm going to offend him. But uh, hey, you guys want a couch for the church office, you know, it's, it's, it's in great shape. It was in great shape, except for the cushion that the dog had eaten. Uh, and you know, he had a big dog that had eaten part of a cushion, you know, as dogs do. And so as long as that cushion was turned upside down, you couldn't tell that there was a big hole in the couch unless you actually sat on the couch and then you sunk way deep into the couch. And so uh, we actually used it in our office for a while, not because we had to, but because uh, then I could say this was our donated couch. But anyway, so uh, we'll take some stuff, but other stuff, badger skin, I think is probably illegal around here. I uh, could be wrong. Is there a badger season? Can you, can you hunt badgers? I don't, I don't know. I'm sure if there was, you guys would be out there. But anyway, <laughs> verse 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Uh, there are three Hebrew words for the sanctuary we most commonly call the tabernacle. The first means a dwelling place, and that gives you the purpose that God had in mind so that he might dwell among them. The second word means a holy place, And we see that, as we see the description, we'll see that the tabernacle itself was the holy place and then the veil into which you went through to the holy of holies. Uh, And so it was a place where the Lord dwelt in his holiness. And thirdly, the tabernacle is referred to as the tent of meeting. And so it was God desiring to dwell among them in the holy place where he could meet with human beings. God delights to dwell among his people 
He walked with Abraham, and, or not Abraham, with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. He visited and dined with Abraham. He spoke to Moses from the burning bush and to the people from Mount Sinai. Now he was proposing a movable dwelling place among his people. Later, that stationary dwelling place would be the temple in Jerusalem made in the same pattern as the tabernacle. After that, God would come to earth, God incarnate, God in human flesh. The Apostle John said of Jesus that he became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It could be translated, Jesus tabernacled among us. Today, the dwelling of God on earth is in the church. We individually are the temples of the Holy Spirit, but we're also collectively, as a body of believers, whether we're meeting or not, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the place where God desires to dwell. We're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit, we read in Ephesians chapter 2. Jesus will at any moment come for His church, resurrecting the dead in Christ while rapturing living believers. After the seven-year great tribulation that follows that and the 1,000-year millennial kingdom that follows that, He's going to create new heavens and a new earth where He will dwell with His people in glory forever. And so one of the great themes of the Bible is that God wanted to and desired to have fellowship with mankind that fellowship was lost through Adam and Eve's sin, and God has been working through human history through these various means to restore face-to-face -face intimate fellowship, and that's what Christians will share for eternity uh, when Jesus comes for us. So verse 9, according to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of its furnishings, so you make it. God told Israel what he was going to do. He told them the part they could play in it. He set the stage for them to respond. Now jump ahead to chapter 35, verse 21. It says, everyone whose heart was stirred. There were those among them whose hearts were stirred to serve the Lord by giving the things that he requested. God desired to dwell among them, and many were excited to do everything they could to aid and abet him. The wording also implies there were two responses. Some had hearts that were stirred. Some did not have their hearts stirred. I point out that God was the same to both hearts. The unstirred hearts could have been stirred. There's nothing different about God. He presented what he was going to do to all of the Israelites. Some of them had their hearts stirred and some didn't. It was very subjective. Now, there are as many reasons why some hearts were not stirred as there are hearts. We would suggest selfishness or greed or idolatry or bitterness. Just about anything that settles in your heart as a sludge that defies stirring. Have you ever opened a really, really old can of paint, gallon of paint, and, and then at the bottom it's rock hard as all the solids have settled, and then there's that weird yellowy liquidy stuff on top, and you think, is this actually safe? I think I was better with lead-based paint. But anyway, uh, no, that's not true, by the way. Pastor Gene said that I should use lead-based paint. We'll edit that out. Poor edit. We have a whole editing staff. Uh, <laughs> it's the hardest job here on campus. But anyway, uh, it, that's the idea. Things settle, and they, they can actually defy stirring to where they're so hard. So there are things that sometimes settle in all of our hearts because we're none of us perfect, and these are the things that God wants to stir up. Here's an example. Rich young ruler in the New Testament. He seemed to have a sincere desire to follow Jesus and to serve him. But when the Lord asked him to sell his possessions 
and told him he'd then have treasure in heaven, we read, and I quote, when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And so whether you call it greed or materialism, whatever you'd call it, had settled in his heart. And the Lord knew that because he had the word of knowledge. And he said, for you to be stirred up, you need to get rid of all your riches, follow me, and you will have treasure in heaven. And he, he had a decision to make. And sadly, in his case, he decided to not follow Jesus because his heart uh, was unstirred. And so when we talk about the stirring of the heart, it's not something we're waiting for God to do. Lord, I'm waiting for you to stir my heart. It's something that God is always doing. We just need to discover where he's doing it and in what fashion. And so maybe the best thing we can do is ask the question of ourselves, can I say that my heart is stirred? Asking it with the Lord to help answer us. No one wants to say my heart is not stirred. I'm happy to live in sludge that is settled there. I mean, can you imagine going out today? Say, hey, what'd you think of the message? I was great because it, I pointed out that my heart is full of sludge and I just love that. I'm just, it, it, it's just so hard. I have so much bitterness. I have so much anger. I have so much resentment. I have so much materialism. I have so much covetousness, whatever it might be. I, the, the Lord showed me that and, and it's just getting harder and harder and harder. And, and, and you know, nobody wants to be stir lazy, Right? You've heard of stir crazy. You don't want to be stir lazy. You want the Lord to stir up your heart because it's always things that shouldn't be in your heart that are hindering your walk with the Lord and your relationship with others as well. And so trust the Lord to reveal your heart to you. Now, as we go into our second question, can you see that your spirit is willing? We're going to jump into chapter 35, verse 21. So turn over there or navigate unless you're there already. Speaking of James Bond, as we were, Sean Connery really owns that role, but overall, I think he was better playing Malone in The Untouchables. What are you prepared to do was the question he asked Kevin Costner's version of Elliot Ness. Everything within the law, answered Ness. And then what? You must be prepared to go all the way. Capone pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way, and that's how you get Al Capone. Are you ready to do that? The stirring of your heart implies a readiness to act. Don't ask God to stir your heart unless you're ready to go all the way with it. The willingness of the Spirit is shown in actually taking action. In a moment, we'll see the Israelites in action. First, I want to acknowledge that a lot of important stuff happens in the chapters that we've skipped including the infamous incident with the golden calf, and we are going to go back and study them. We're not skipping them permanently. Uh, right now, though, we're following this thread of giving to the building of the tabernacle. And so, verse 21 of chapter 35, then everyone whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing, they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting for all its service and for the holy garments. Heart stirred men, uh, means spirit willing, which means you take action and serve the Lord as he has asked. In the case of Israel camped at Mount Sinai, it was to bring to him the offerings he had requested for the building project. Projects can rightfully stir the heart, leading to your willing spirit. When we purchased this building, we saw a lot of that. Guys and gals with specific skills came in and did demolition work and construction work and installations and a lot of finish work. It was a heart-stirring project. And that still happens with regards to the physical building. Anytime we announce something special, people step up and it's a blessing. But you don't need a project to have a willing spirit. The church is an ongoing building project. 
It will never be completed until Jesus comes for us to resurrect the dead and rapture living believers. And so uh, we might be in our building and maintaining it uh, and not have a building project, but we are the building project as believers. And everything that the church is led to do, all the ministries we're involved with, all the people we support, everything that we do is part of that ongoing everyday project. And so it isn't one special project that we're doing. It's we are the project. Apostle Peter said, I think it's right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. Peter taught believers the word, thinking it would stir them up to press forward in their normal daily activities, praying and studying the word and fellowshipping with other believers and sharing their faith in Jesus. He saw that as ongoing every day. The writer to the Hebrew Christians said, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And so those are ongoing, every day, every minute projects to stir one another up to love and to good works. There is always a call from God to serve, offering yourself as a living sacrifice. And so this isn't something where we're looking forward to, well, Gene, tell us what the next project is. The next project is just you and the Lord ministering together in what he wants you to do. Uh, We shouldn't need a special project. We have one, and we are one. And so verse 22, they came both men and women, as many as had a willing heart. They brought earrings and nose rings and rings and necklaces and jewelry of gold and every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord and every man with whom was found blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair, red skins of rams and badger skins brought them. Everyone who offered an offering of silver or bronze brought the Lord's offering And everyone with whom was found acacia wood for any work of the service brought it. All the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands and brought what they had spun of blue, purple, and scarlet and fine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred with wisdom spun yarn of goat's hair. The rulers brought onyx stones and the stones uh, were set in the ephod and in the breastplate and spices and oil for the light, for the anointing oil and the sweet incense. Just a couple of quick observations from their giving. They came both men and women. That's as it should be, but often men are absent from church life. It's a little dated, but in 2006, Biola University published an article titled The Feminization of the Church. It dealt with what they identified as a centuries-old mystery. There are generally more women than men in every type of church, in every part of the world. And so Christian men need to step up and be stirred up. Uh, They gave material goods, but they also offered their skills. As we read, they spun yarn of goat's hair and things like that. So everyone can contribute something. Maybe you can't give money, but you can serve or contribute some other way. The rulers also contributed. Everyone has their function in the Lord's house, and while some are leaders, uh, no one uh, is above having their heart stirred. So verse 29, the children of Israel brought a free will offering to the Lord. All the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work, which the Lord, by the hands of Moses, had commanded to be done. There was all kinds of work to be done. There's all kinds of work still to be done by us as the living stones in the church. A lot of times folks will come and they'll say that God has laid something on their heart. Or in today's language, we would say that their heart was stirred about some new ministry or project. And uh, our answer is always the same. What are you going to do about it then? And they'll say, well, wait a minute. No, I'm bringing this to the church for the church to do something about it. I say, yes, you are the church. To collectively, we're the church, but individually, you're the church. And we, I believe in probably 99.9% of the cases, if God puts something on your heart, 
He wants you to press forward with it and will come alongside to help you. But, um, you know, this creates some consternation sometimes when people think, well, how come you're not excited about what I'm excited about? Well, I'm excited for you, but I'm excited for this. And together as living stones, we're reaching our community in the way that God wants us to. And so if God puts something on your heart, we want to know about it. We want to hear about it so that we can encourage you to do it. Got that? It's very spiritual. It really is. I mean, just that's the way it works. Skip ahead to chapter 36, verse 3. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. The they here are the craftsmen charged with construction of the tabernacle. The offerings came into Moses and he got them to the appropriate builders. Now previously we've read in the book of Exodus that a lot of Moses' time had been occupied with hearing disputes and adjudicating matters of conflict between Israelites and that he did that all day from morning until late into the evening. What a relief this must have been instead of Israelites coming and saying, uh, I think his donkey went to the bathroom on my property and Moses having to deal with something like that, people coming and say, hey, here's my ramskin dyed red. Here's some onyx stones. And it's a completely different spirit to the thing, a better spirit. Sometimes you can tell where you're at spiritually by what kind of disputes you're having. Are they petty? Are you involved in petty disputes? Is the church involved in a petty dispute? Color of the carpets, color of the building, that kind of thing. Or are people having to be turned away because they're giving so much to the work of the Lord? That's where you want to be. Verse 4, then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing, and they spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough for us to do the service of the work of the Lord. And so what a great problem to have. They had too many resources, too many materials to be used. And so verse 6, so Moses gave a commandment. And they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, it was too much. Churches and other nonprofits often put up a visual like a thermometer to show the progress towards achieving the financial goal. Have you seen those? You've seen those, the thermometer and how high it's going. And I'm thinking, how does a busted thermometer motivate giving? I mean, what does that have to do with anything? Moses sent a proclamation through the camp, but it appears folks kept coming anyway until he restrained them from giving. And what a great problem to have. I want to stress, however, that what we're talking about is not about money, not primarily. It's about having stirred hearts and willing spirits to take action to serve the Lord. That action might include giving more to him, but there are a lot of other things that would occur as well. And so when we think of the heart being stirred, we already saw that our giving should be cheerful and regular and sacrificial and that that's up to you to figure out. But we're not just talking about giving finances. We're talking about every aspect of our lives, every way that God wants us to serve him in our families, uh, with our extended family, at our workplace, at our school, when we're at places of recreation, what kind of stirring needs to take place? What has settled in my heart and in your heart that God wants to stir up so that we will, with excitement, will come forward and serve him? So it's really not about money primarily. There are a lot of other things that will occur as well. 
The bottom line, however, is you can see if your spirit is willing by taking a look at your serving. These Israelites didn't say, well, I'm willing to give. If you really need it, I've, I've got some acacia wood, so just let me know. No, Moses said, hey, we could use acacia wood, and they started bringing it in barrels and piles and, and until, hey, there's just too much. Willingness was, and readiness meant action. It wasn't just, hey, I'm ready, you know, as soon as you tell me. God's saying, no, I'm telling you right now. And I believe that in each of our lives this morning and pretty much every day, if we will ask the Lord and invite him, if there's anything that is settled in our heart, uh, that he will stir that up. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for uh, doing these things to the Israelites and letting their offering be voluntary and free will. And I pray, Lord, that in a voluntary and free will sense, we would allow our hearts to be stirred up and that you would show us, Lord, where we can give more or serve more or pray more or witness more or fellowship more or, or whatever it might be for our good and for your glory. We trust that you'll do that work, Lord, because you're good and perfect God, that you love us and want to give us the desires of our hearts, even though we don't know what those desires are. The rich young ruler had desires in his heart, Lord. They were material, they were physical, they were idolatrous, and it hindered him from walking with you. Too bad, Lord, he couldn't open his heart to be stirred and follow you all the days of his life. We want to be uh, those that follow you and so stir our hearts and show us what to do.